0: Good evening. If you seem to sense an aura of cold dampness that permeates this room, attribute it not to either defective air conditioning or inclement indoor weather. It's simply because this is rather a special place, with special statuary and special paintings.
1: It's the Riley and Kimmy
2: Show! The Riley and Kimmy
1: Show! And welcome to this episode. It's 1,165. It is a Sunday, which means it's a Sunday funnies episode. And my my funny partner's right next to me. Cannon. I got one name. Hello everybody, hello everybody,
3: everybody, everybody, everybody. everybody, everybody.
1: <laughs> Hi. Hi there, I am your host, Patrick Riley.
4: Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy... Three very sane spectators.
1: That's right. uh, The sane ones are all around me. Behind me, two fur kids, including one of them who was just in a parade, matter of fact, on Saturday, and another person who was in a parade. That is Kimmy. Is right next to me, too. She's uh, rested up from a big dog nap. Uh, You know, walking that long parade route uh, took a lot out of her. Uh, Hey. (laughs) Well, uh, welcome to the show, Kimmy. I'm glad you're all rested up and awake. You and the fur kid, too. And uh, thank you for being part of the Riley and Kimmy show on a Sunday, a Sunday funnies episode, and we'll prove it is a Sunday funnies episode if you stick right with the Riley and Kimmy show.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it was a great day. Great parade.
1: Saturday was a great day for you in downtown land for the Mardi Gras parade. It is a dog parade, by the way, Mardi Gras dog, dog parade. We have uh, pictures available on our Facebook page, um, Facebook pages, I should say, check them both out. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show Facebook page and also the Animal Special Facebook page. Got videos and and all kinds of things uh, about that event. And a uh, big thank you to the Deland Animal Hospital letting us walk with them in their uh, their parade right behind them. And I believe uh, they did quite well with their float, correct?
2: Mm-hmm. I believe they won first prize again. Ooh, ooh that's,
1: that was really And real a cool. nice
2: big trophy.
1: That's fantastic. They, yeah, they they're did, great. They did an uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of theme thing. and. Uh, it was, was way cool. The, they go all out. Yeah, their entire staff got into it. Somebody was, uh, or two of them were Tweedledee and Tweedledum.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: they were just, uh, they were they were the stars of that float for sure.
2: Yeah, Dr. McPhail was um, was the Mad Hatter.
1: Uh, appropriate, yes. <laughs> Quite appropriate. Now, I think his wife should have been maybe, you know, in the March Hare. She could have been th- up there throwing, uh, you, know, uh, tea, <laughs> uh, tea and, you know, tea pots and tea cups and all kinds of things, you know. She actually, uh, she's a fantastic uh, vet as well. Mm-hmm. Both of them are. Uh, uh, no secret that the Riley and Kimmy Show uh, supports them uh, because they are fantastic in the world of uh, veterinary uh, and help. And matter of fact, one of our fur kids just happens to have been adopted from that uh, location. Mm, the that's one, right. The one that was walking with us uh, today. She she would not miss this event for anything.
2: I think she's really. Getting to be a, a good parade marcher.
1: Although she did not want to kick off the event today, uh, yesterday. She was actually.
2: a little, yeah, a little not sure about things getting out of the car, but.
1: Yeah, she was. She decided she wanted to stay in the Batmobile and did not want to get out for a long period of time. And and Kimmy over here was getting a little upset. You were. You, you wanted her to be part of this and and that. And I just said, you know, relax and chill, and she'll she'll eventually probably come out she did and she did she had a great time and you get to see Kimmy and her together a lot of photos and and videos as well and a big thank you to everybody who uh came out in that area and uh did some uh did some uh, official waving back uh big thank you to Todd Merrick uh who gave us a big uh, big wave mm-hmm. and let's see uh Terry Moore mm-hmm. of Outdated Slang and Jim Kerr of Carousel's Collectibles just to name a few that's right uh, they were good waivers mm-hmm. and I, I gave some beads to, uh, Jim. Yeah. You know, he, he lo- it looked great on his, uh, Hawaiian shirt.
2: I'll bet it did.
1: It did. He, he was getting in all that, uh, festive spirit, the whole thing going on. That was in downtown Deland at the Mardi Gras parade. Can't wait till the next one. I think maybe we'll bring even a bigger fur kid maybe on that one. Um, uh, the next one. Mm. I'm thinking about bringing him out to an upcoming event or two uh this year uh we've had requests for the big guy uh to come out okay yeah i'm thinking about it it just depends you know when and where okay it will be uh but there are some people who would like to they they say you know bring him out and and they they love to have him there so we will think about that now speaking of dogs (coughs) the riley and Kimmy show We'll be at another dog event just around the corner. Now, this one's happening Saturday, March 18th. It's in Melbourne, Florida, at the Melbourne Auditorium. And this is a really nice location, by the way, isn't it, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, i mean the Melbourne Auditorium. Free parking, too, by the way. Pause on Catwalk is happening. That is a fashion show being, being uh, ran by the Brevard Humane Society. It's a benefit for them. And you will not want to miss this. I mean, there will be adoptable pets available. Mm-hmm. Hint, Kimmy. Uh, yes, there will be adoptable pets. Also, uh, items available too to purchase for your pets at this uh, at this event. And a celebrity pet will be there. Dog will be there. A superhero dog that is Tug, the Bull Terrier puppy, will be appearing as well. That's starting at ten o'clock in the morning on Saturday, March eighteenth, until two. Riley and Kimmy Show has been invited to this big event, and we hope you can come out there. This is over in the Space Coast area for those who are in Orlando or Daytona or you know any other area of Florida. This is the Space Coast area. Very, very nice. Very easy to get to. It's close to I-95. It's uh, very, very easy to get to. If Kimmy could find it... And we've tested this twice. Kimmy has found it twice. Uh, we can anybody can find it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be a, a fun event that's happening Saturday, March eighteenth. Meet Tug, and and maybe adopt someone a fur friend, a fur baby. Remember, adopt, don't shop. At Paws on the Catwalk, and help the Brevard Humane Society. You can find out more about the Brevard Humane Society at society.org. Riley and Kimmy show has uh, the great pleasure to announce one of our good friends. will be making an appearance coming up next week. I can't believe this. Calendar's flipping over. It's March. It's, it's almost March, Kimmy. It's almost I here. I know. I can't believe this. March is just around the corner, and next Sunday... Doesn't seem possible, will be March 5th. And a very good friend to the Riley and Kimmy show will be making an appearance, his very first appearance in Akohi, Florida. And that is George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost. If you untie me, I will.
0: Hi, kids. Space Ghost here. You're listening to Riley and Kimmy on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Uh, can, can you just loosen the hands up
1: a little? For Oh, that is heaven. Man. He will be untied, I'm told, but they might, well, I don't know if they will totally untie him. I have a feeling it will be sort of like that Hannibal Lecter thing where they'll be wheeling him out on a cart and they'll have him, you know, like in a straight jacket. They might unmuzzle him for a little bit, mm. uh, but he will be there. That's at Highlander Novelties in Ochoa, Florida, a brand new pop culture store, Stop on out if you are in Central Florida and meet George Lowe from 1 until 5. Now, that's not 1 in the morning. That's 1 in the afternoon until 5 in the afternoon. 1 till 5. George Lowe will be there. That's next Sunday, March 5th. Now, share this with your friends. Tell your friends George will be there. This doesn't cost a dime to get in to meet him. It's not like he's at a convention somewhere where you got to pay, you know, something to get in and then you got that parking to deal with and you got a, a bunch of people who are there for something else and, and you're there for one purpose, one person, one purpose only and that is to get some great novelties, some pop culture stuff from Highlander novelties and to meet George Lowe and bring whatever items you have Space Ghost related and George will sign them. Matter of fact, if you want him to sign your body part, he will do that too. Maybe you want an autograph. Maybe you want an autograph tattooed. He has done this in the past. Do that. I'm sure he doesn't care what part it is being signed. That's right. He he, he will do it. I have a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want him to sign your butt, you can tell him the Riley and Kimmy show said he will sign your butt. Uh, he'll do that. That's true. Uh, George Lowe will sign your butt. So, And sure. where can you get your butt signed, Kimmy? Where can you get your butt He'll signed? He'll even sign your meat. That's right. He will sign your meat. There's a meat store next door. That's right. You, you'll you get that pepperoni. and Or, have, your,
2: or your spam, you know, because yeah. he's he's had, he likes spam.
1: We've so. had him, uh, we've given him, awarded him a can of, well, generally we award him generic spam but we have given him the good stuff too before Mm -hmm. and so has a good friend of his which we will not name on this episode of the riley and kimmy show so stop on by get your butt signed uh by george lowe or whatever maybe a pop vinyl or something you have or Mm -hmm. perhaps you could pick up something at highlander novelties and get it signed say hello to christian the store owner good friend to the riley and kimmy show And, you know, I know if you have uh, maybe a a need for decals and stickers and things like that, talk to him about that, too. I'm I'm sure he can help you out. That's right. So meet the craziest man in Florida. That is Space Ghost. I mean, he is, isn't he, Kimmy? Oh, yeah. I I think they're running around with a big net looking for him. You Mm -hmm. know, Uh, meet Mr. Crazy. That is next Sunday, March 5th. Uh, at Highlander Novelties, I don't think Christian, the owner of Highlander Novelties, knows what is in store. I don't think he is prepared for this. Uh, I, I I don't think he realizes what he has coming into his store. Mm. But I guarantee this; it'll be well worth meeting George Lowe. Absolutely. Uh, he he will autograph, unlike anybody I think you've ever met. He is entertaining. He will talk about the show, Space Ghost, and other cartoons that he's been part of and matter of fact uh, other things as well too he has plenty of stories i'd love to talk to uh uh well i'd love to talk to him anytime i mean uh, mm-hmm. he is i consider him a very good friend and uh you know it'll be a good time that's at highlander novelties in ocoee be sure to tell george the riley and Kimmy show said hi and uh, sent you there to have your butt signed right mm-hmm <laughs> So it'll be a fun time. That's Ed Highlander Novelties. Now, Kimmy, I have a question for you. On this Sunday, a Sunday Funnies episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show, would you like to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia? Yes. And here we go. It is a Sunday, February 26th, the last Sunday in the month of February Kimmy gets more of these right than wrong. She gets a free butt signing from George Lowe. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that part, okay? <laughs> no, you get more of these right than wrong. You get yourself a breakfast, lunch, or a dinner of your choice, Kimmy. Because I know the person that promised us uh, dinner for your birthday, they have not uh, fulfilled that, and they said they were going to on Sunday. I know they will not do that. They're just that kind of way. So I will be covering that. Uh, you know, So you get your choice of breakfast, lunch, or dinner. If you get more of these, right then wrong. How's that? Okay. All right. It is Nerdy and Pop Culture Geek Trivia. We play this this way. It is all scrambled up, sort of like a uh, Yahtzee dice cup, and thrown out there. Not thrown up, but thrown out there. The timeline has been adjusted. It's not chronological or linear. Feel free to shout out, yell out uh, the answers because you in the future can reach Kimmy because there is a time vortex that opens up. Yeah, just like that Deep Space Nine thing, you would see that it opens up. Instead of a spaceship flying out, it's an answer goes right into her ears. And it works. It's weird. Sort of like she is. It does work. And it's your opportunity to help the Riley and Kimmy Show and have some fun. By the way, the Riley and Kimmy Show offers pop culture entertainment, escapism, every single day. You heard right. We're not one of those uh, type shows that does it once in a while, once a week, once a month. We do it all the time. Brand new episodes of pop culture escapism. It is a Sunday, February 26th, Kimmy. And here we go. The very first question for you is sort of computer, but it is music-based. And you love music, so you, you should be able to do well with this one. It was on this date Apple announced that the iTunes store had surpassed Best Buy to become the second largest music seller in the United States. That is number two, Kimmy. They became number two on this date. Was it 2008, 2011, 2013, or 2015?
2: 2011?
1: It was 2008. They became number two. Now the question for you, Kimmy, who at the time in 2008 was number one? It was a retailer. Who was number one? It's not Best Buy. They were number two and became number three. Who was the top place for music at that time in 2008? Mm. Mm. Can you do it? No. It was Walmart. Really? Walmart was top dog at that moment. Wow. Yes, that's 2008, but things have changed. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history, Kimmy. Capitol Records releases the first four Beatles albums on CD. Tell me, within five years, what year did Capitol Records release the first four Beatles albums on Compact Disc? 1985. It was 1987, so you got it within five. It was on this date, Kimmy. Billboard reported that the 45 RPM single format was outselling the 78s for the very first time. Was this 1935, 1945, 1955, or 1965? We'll give you a moment to think about that. Hey, hey, it's Close and Play. Close the lid.
4: The music plays. Life's magic. Open the lid. The music stops. Like magic, see? No tone arm to handle. Just close and boy? play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> close and play is so simple, even Nancy can have her own. Right, like Hi, <whistles> and Kenner's new, improved Close and Play.
4: One of the easiest to use photographs in the world. Play your 45 RPM records
0: any place. It's battery operated. And remember, Close and Play is not for mom or dad or big sister. Kenner's Close and Play photograph is just for you. Hey, hey, it's Close and Play. Records not included.
1: Yeah, we'd like to find one of those, I I would. And maybe I'll be able to find one of those March 19th at the Melbourne Toy and Comic-Con. It'll be full of collectibles. Yeah, swing on by the Melbourne Toy and Comic-Con. You know, save up. It is truly, if in the month month of March, that's the one to go to in Florida, the Melbourne Toy and Comic-Con. The Riley and Kimmy Show will be there we look forward to seeing you. Now back to the question. Kimmy, it was on this date that the 45 surpasses the 78 RPM. Was it 1935, 1945, 1955 or 1965?
2: 1945?
1: Oh, Kimmy misses it by 10 years. It was
2: 1955.
1: It was 1955. Mm. That 78 was still going for a while. Wow. It was on this date, Kimmy? Give me the year. Sonny and Cher's divorce becomes final. Was it 1975, 1979, 1981,
2: or 1982?
1: 1975. Exactly right. Moving over to something else in the timeline. Way, way, way back. We will not ask it because uh, Kimmy hates history. It was on this date, Kimmy? Well, may, wait. A minute. This one will not count on your lunch or your breakfast, your lunch or your dinner, Kimmy. Let's just see if you can do it. The year is 1815. He escapes the island of Elba. He then began his second conquest of France. He, Napoleon? Yeah. Amazing. Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> I, I should have given you the clue. I didn't know if I had to give you the backup clue. Josephine. <laughs> I didn't know if I had to do that. That was 1815. Amazing. I didn't think you would see you're on a. That's a bonus one. We'll give you a bonus there. We'll put you in a column there as a plus give you a bonus there it was 1907 the united states congress raised their own pay to seven thousand five hundred dollars now i want you to think about that that is a lot of money in 1907 mm. 7500 is a lot when you know a, a dollar a day wage would be considered extremely good uh, in 1907 it was on this date in 1916 mutual signs charlie chaplin to a film contract it was on this date kimmy The Grand Canyon was established as a national park with an act of Congress. Was it 1919, 1927, 1937, or 1943?
2: 1943.
1: It was 1919 that happened shortly after Arizona had become a state. It was on this date, Kimmy, 1930. New York City installed the first traffic lights. There there wasn't a yellow, though. It was red and green, and that's it. Mm. They didn't give you a warning. It was red or green. Stop or go, no in between. It was on this date, nineteen thirty-eight. The first passenger ship equipped with radar. It was on this date, nineteen forty-five. The United States a nationwide midnight curfew went into effect. You'd be in trouble At, in nineteen forty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kimmy, be in big trouble. It was on this date, nineteen fifty-two. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill announced that Britain had developed an atomic bomb. It was on this date. Now think about this one, Kimmy. The first, and this happened in the United States. The first televised kidney transplant happens. What year? Was it 1975, 1985, 1990, or 2005?
2: 1985?
1: It was 1975 this happened. It was on one of the morning TV shows. Tell me which one was brave enough to do that. You have a choice of three. It was NBC, the Today Show that did that. Now, Back then, we know, well, first of all, you weren't on planet Earth. But let's just say you had been, you probably, you know, as a little kid, you wouldn't have watched that. But as an adult, would you watch that now? No. Okay, moving on. I wonder how many people actually did if they took a ratings hit because of that, meaning, or complaints. I wonder if there was complaints because of that, too. And I wonder what the the opposition did, the competitors, you know, to compete against that. I wonder if they, like, did something totally opposite You know, of it. It was on this date in 1985. This person received a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Identify who the recording artist is. Who is that, Kimmy? Chuck Berry. That's right. Major influence on many, many others who followed him. It was on this date 1998. A Texas jury rejected an $11 million lawsuit. This was a lawsuit by a Texas cattle, well, actually Texas cattlemen, who blamed this talk show host for a price drop after an on-air comment about mad cow disease. Can you tell me who the talk show host was? Oprah. That's right, 1998. Moving over to notable and celebrity birthdays, Victor Hugo, born on this date, 1802. Do you know what he is known for? No. He is a writer, considered one of the greatest and best-known French writers of all time. One of the things he wrote you, you do know, it's called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Hmm. Moving over to somebody else, tell me, Kimmy, what this person did. Tell me what he is known for, Levi Strauss. Jeans. <laughs> That's right. Born 1829, he founded Levi Strauss & Company, the first company to manufacture blue jeans, making it one of the world's most popular clothing items. This person born on this date, William Buffalo Bill Cody, 1846, died in 1917 at the age of 70. Buffalo Bill started working at the age of 11 after his father's death. Became a writer for the Pony Express at the age of 14. And one of the most colorful figures of the American Old West. Buffalo Bill started performing in shows that displayed cowboy themes and episodes of the frontier. He founded Buffalo Bill's Wild West Show in 1883. This thing was huge. He took uh, the company on large tours of the United States and beginning in 1887, toured Great Britain and Europe. This person, born on this date, 1887, Kimmy, died 1966 at the age of 79. He was considered extremely temperamental. I mean, nasty. would have fights with directors, producers, would have fist fights. He would drink heavily. Matter of fact, he had a reputation to the point where directors and producers no longer wanted to deal with him. A certain producer and star of a TV show that was in development gave him a chance and said, You get three strikes, and I will fire you. I don't care how popular this show becomes. You get three strikes. You show up drunk, you're gone. You start a fight. You're gone. (laughs) He told him. And he behaved. The question for you, Kimmy, is can you identify at least the name of the character he played or the actor's name? I will give you a clue with the theme of the TV show we were talking about that gave him that chance. (laughs) What is the TV show, Kimmy? I love Lucy. Okay, now, which character had that kind of warning? Fred Mertz. That's right. Can you tell me the name of the actor who played Fred Mertz? Mm, No. William Frawley played Fred Mertz, and he had that warning. Now, by the way, he appeared in more than 100 films over 35 years, but his film career had went down way down, like nobody was touching him, and Desi Arnaz said, I'll give you that chance if you behave yourself. Now, Fred Mertz, the actor, actually, William Frawley, would go on to another TV show. Can you tell me the name of that TV show he would be part of after I Love Lucy? No. Here's your clue. My Three Sons. That's right. He was on My Three Sons, and he played Bub on My Three Sons until they kicked him off. And the reason they kicked him off was because of declining health, the studio could not insure him, and they said, w- w- "You got to retire. You're out." And they replaced him with William Demarest uh, as Uncle Charlie, which you know more of because Uncle Charlie's episodes were color, and those went into syndication. Were prominently in syndication. They, when color became, you know, the big thing, uh, years for many years, it was hard to see black and white episodes of some things. They just would not run them. There were some exceptions. Leave it to Beaver. Was one of those exceptions with 200 and some episodes. It got the pass. It it went into syndication, but some did not because they they were like, well, let's just run the the color episodes and and focus on those. Especially, it, it's kind of interesting. A lot of a lot of rich history is lost because of that. Although now you can see some of those things like on MeTV now. Although they are not running, to my knowledge, My Three Sons. 1908 saw the birth of Tex Avery. Kimmy, he means a lot to you, even though you don't know the name. Died in 1980. He was an American animator, cartoonist, voice actor, and director. Known for producing animated cartoons during the golden age of American animation. His most significant work was for Warner Brothers and MGM Studios. He was crucial in the evolution, the development of Bugs Bunny. Creating Daffy Duck, Droopy, and Screwy Squirrel and developing Porky Pig and Chili Willy. And by the way, from time to time, he would voice Droopy.
3: Hmm.
1: Yes, that's Tex Avery, born on this date, 1908. See if you can identify this individual, Kimmy. Are you ready?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I'm going to give you the audio clue. He was born on this date, 1916, died at the age of 71 in 1987. Here is your audio clue. Who is this person? I'm
2: back in business, baby!
1: Who is that?
2: Jackie Gleason.
1: That's right. Jackie Gleason. Known for what show?
2: The Honeymooners.
1: Yes, that's correct, Kimmy. The Honeymooners. Also, he was in films like Minnesota Fats that he played in the film The Hustler, co-starring Paul Newman. Have you ever seen that? No. No. Oh, amazing. I I can't believe you never saw that. Mm -mm. You never seen that one? That's classic. We got to do something about that one. And of course, he played Buford T. Justice in Smokey and the Bandit from 1977 until the early 80s, opposite of Burt Reynolds. Now, have you ever seen any of the Smokey and the Bandit movies? No. (gasps) Man, we have some friends right now yelling at you. They're, they're, They're in total disbelief. Get me moving over to somebody else born on this date in history. See if you can identify who it is. This is easy. Born on this date, 1920, best known for his role as Felix Unger on television in The Odd Couple. Who is he?
2: That would be Tony Randall. Randall.
1: That is correct. Can you tell me what year he passed within five?
2: 2005.
1: Amazing. You're on a roll here. 2004, died at the age of 84. 1927 saw the birth of Tom Kennedy. You may or may not remember his name. He was on TV, best known for his work in game shows. He did shows like You Don't Say, Split Second, and Name That Tune. Do you remember Name That Tune? Mm, kind of. Okay, okay. He is 90 today. I've not seen any of those shows on Buzzer TV. They run the classic or retro uh, you know, game shows. Next person having a birthday from the world of music. Tell me who it is and how old he is, Kimmy. How old is he today? Here is your audio clue. I
3: found my oh, Blueberry Hill. Oh,
2: blueberry
1: Who is that birthday person?
2: Fats Domino.
1: Exactly right. How old is Fats Domino today? Within five.
2: He's still with us.
1: Yes, in this universe, he is still with us, Kimmy. Yes, how old is he today?
2: 85.
1: Close enough. Within five, he is 89 today. Tell me who this next birthday person is. Here's your audio clue. I keep
0: my eyes wide open all the time.
1: I keep the ends out for the
0: pilot
2: fight because you're mine. I walk the line.
1: Who is that birthday person?
2: Johnny Cash.
1: Within five years, what year did he pass?
2: Um,
1: 2000? Yeah, you got it within five. He passed in 2003 at the age of 71. Do you have any, Johnny Cash? No, I don't. Not even an MP3? No, I don't. Shame on you. He's considered one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold more than 90 million records worldwide, but never one to Kimmy. Shame shame on you, Kimmy. Moving back to the birthdays, Mitch Ryder having a birthday today. You probably don't know who that is, do you? He was popular uh, on oldies radio, especially. You know, all those oldie stations I worked at, Kimmy, you heard me play his music, you just don't remember, because actually, you never listened. You said, oh yeah, I was listening, but you, you never were. Yeah, It's Mitch Ryder, who had a big hit Devil with a blue dress on, number
4: four. she <laughs> a
1: You know, I should sing that one for you, Kimmy. It sounds just like you he's singing about right there. Mm. Yeah, Devil with a Blue Dress On. It was a number four hit, never went higher. 1966, this next person from the world of music having a birthday. Tell me how old he is, but first thing, tell me who it is. Here's your audio clue. (laughs) used to have hair like Fabio's, like all over the place or Leif Garrett or something. Tell me who it is.
2: Yeah, I I, I can see him.
1: Come on, that's a that's, powerful that's, song he did there.
2: That's the one song of his I like.
1: Yes, he he sold um, more than 75 million records, recorded eight top ten albums, and two number one singles on the Billboard charts. He's a Grammy winner, also an American Music Awards winner.
2: But I can't think of his name right now.
1: Oh, Michael Bolton is yeah. the name. Mm-hmm. You realize he started out in like hard rock. That's what was really? his thing. Yeah, then he, he found his niche in uh, that soft sound. Mm. Yeah, the soft sounds of Michael Bolton. How old is Michael Bolton today within five?
2: Uh, 72.
1: Oh, Kimmy, he would be upset. He'd be crying right now. <laughs> He's 64. Oh. Yeah, Kimmy, Kimmy's Sorry. like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> at, least, at least she sort of knew who it was, kind of, maybe. Yeah, I, I knew. Y- y- you, you did? Mm-hmm. Are you sure you knew who he was? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Moving over to another section of trivia. I see dead people. Notable deaths on this date. 1993 saw the passing of Constance Ford. She died at the age of 69 in 1993. Did a lot of soap opera work. Edge of night. Some things you would be aware of and not, Kimmy. She made three appearances on Perry Mason. And she played a woman with a split personality on an episode of Perry Mason from 1958 called The Case of the Deadly Double. But she's really famous for playing a nasty woman. She's one of these people, they, they would go, okay, we need a nasty woman for a film or a nasty woman for a, for a TV episode. Yes, yeah, matter of fact, she's even in a, um, a movie with uh, Jeannie Cooper, a prison movie where they, they fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, i and she, she's really known though for a movie with Sandra D. called A Summer Place in 1959. She is physically abusive to Sandra D. in that film. It was quite shocking at the time period. Matter of fact, she's abusive to her husband as well. The movie really did stand out in the time period today. Maybe not, but her role would, her acting would. She she played nasty, unlike any other. I mean, she 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 was in her own right. She was she she was a nasty. She played nasty well. Mm. That's Constance Ford. Died in 1993 on this date. Moving over to the next person who died, Kimmy. See if you can identify him. You know him, but I don't think you can tell me his name for the life of you right now, okay? But we'll try. He died on this date at the age of 67. He is best remembered for his role as Detective John Bosley on a certain TV show. Here's the theme to help you. (laughs) Now, Kimmy, can you identify the TV show he played on?
2: Charlie's Angels.
1: That's correct. He played Bosley. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
1: And can you tell me his name? David. Ooh, amazing. um, Kimmy's doing it. Now, he is the only actor. David Doyle. That's exactly right. I don't know how you, that's scary. David Doyle, you're correct, died at the age of 67 on this date in 1997. He is one of only two actors who, well, were in every Episode of Charlie's Angels, who was the other on camera. We're not talking about John Forsythe's voice.
2: Kate Jackson.
1: Wrong. Jaclyn Smith? That's correct. Jacqueline Smith was in all 110 original episodes of the series with Bosley there. And by the way, for those who love cartoons, he was the voice of Grandpa Pickles in Nickelodeon's TV series Rugrats, he did that until his death, I will not play a sample of that, I I just will not do that, and now we're going to go back in time to the golden age of radio, now this is going to be fun, it's part of Sunday Funnies with old time radio, we're going to tie it into something from trivia. That is the Riley and Kimmy show because Victor Hugo was born on this date. The person who wrote the Hunchback of the Notre Dame, I thought we would have some fun and make it a Sunday funnies. And you're going to say, how can you do that? I can do that quite easily because of somebody called Jack Benny. Now, Jack Benny's program was huge on radio and was big on television as well. Now, Benny decided to have some fun with Victor Hugo and the Hunchback of Notre Dame because the episode he decides he wants to be a serious dramatic actor because he was scorned in the Oscars Kimmy and he wants to get some acting lessons and who does he choose to teach him how to act in dramas none other than Orson Welles now this is really cool here is just a highlight from this episode to give you an idea Jack Benny is playing Quasimodo. Now, Kimmy, do you know who Quasimodo is? Mm-hmm. He was the hunchback, right? Mm-hmm. Orson Welles gives him the role. The whole it, it's great. This whole episode, Orson Welles decides to do every single voice except like one, and he does female voices too. Wells will do. All, he does like all of Hunchback Notre Dame stuff except for one female role, and he assigns Jack for his dramatic teaching the role of Quasimodo. Here is just a brief section for a few seconds of what is in store if you listen to the entire episode. It's really cool. Listen to this because Orson Welles, by the way, why this is so precious, Orson Welles at this moment in time is 24 years old. Orson Welles has done War of the Worlds two years before, just about two years before when he was 23. And this is one year away before Citizen Kane. Orson Welles is more known in the United States than the President of the United States at this time. He's extremely well-known, and he's with Jack Benny. He is a trained actor. Jack Benny causes him to laugh and lose it a little bit. It's really cool. Listen to Jack Benny's version of Quasimodo. You are thieves and
0: swindlers. You are daisy and you live by magic tricks and sorcery.
4: But you don't know the gypsies.
1: I don't want to know them.
0: I want to wipe them with fire and sword, every one of them. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: uh, how how was that orson
1: just grown once jack <laughs> oh
3: well, the
4: second one was an encore <laughs> uh, go ahead
1: yes he causes the great orson welles to uh to lose it a little bit get out of character and, and it's kind of cool and you can hear this entire thing right now uninterrupted it's jack betty going back to 1940 right before uh, the big bad film comes out the one in the where he's you know it's considered the greatest movie of all time but actually changes Orson Welles' career, not for the best. Followed by, we have something with William Frawley, because eh, Kimmy knows him from I Love Lucy, but didn't know him from other stuff. He did the Golden Age of Radio, too. We have an episode with William Frawley going back to 1949. It's called You Could Look It Up. It's from 1949, and it's kind of about baseball in a humorous, weird way as he tells a story to his grandchild, That's William Frawley from I Love Lucy and My Three Sons. Kicking things off with Jack Benny on this Sunday Funnies with Orson Welles from 1940 on The Riley and Kimmy Show.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you our master of ceremonies. Hold it, Don. Hold it. Just a
4: minute. Jack isn't here yet. Well, where is he? Well, he's out in the hall talking to Orson Welles on the telephone. You mean Orson Welles,
0: the famous actor?
4: Yeah. What's he talking to him about? Well, it's a long story. Jack is still burned up because he didn't win the Academy Award this year. So from now on, he's going in for heavy dramatic stuff. And right now, he's trying to get Orson Welles to coach him. Ain't that a Lulu? (laughs) But, gee, Mr. Benny's a comedian. What does he want dramatic lessons for? That's what I say. You ought to stick to them big shoes and baggy pants. (laughs) I better go out in the hall and get them, though. Yeah, tell him to make it snappy. We're on the air. Okay. Yes, I understand, Orson. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Quite. (laughs) Oh, but definitely... Uh, Very well, Orson. I shall be expecting you within the hour. Hey, Jackson, we're waiting for you. I'll be there in a minute, uh, Phil, old boy. (laughs) By the way, Orson, shall I send my car for you? Will you take a cab? I mean cab. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very well. I shall be looking forward to your visit. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Goodbye. Well, that's that. Hey, kind of putting on the dog there, wasn't you? Phil, don't say wasn't you. Hurt my ear. Well, get a load of him. He talks to Orson Welles for two minutes, and my English ain't good enough for him. And don't say ain't. Heaven. Oh, stop with that highbrow stuff. What are you trying to do? Make me feel subconscious? <laughs> That's self-conscious. And listen, Phil. When Orson Welles gets here, will you do me a favor and talk just with your hands? <laughs> I'll tell him you've got laryngitis or something. Come on, let's go inside. Yes, let's join the others. Pip, pip. <laughs> Gee, you're funny You know, Phil, it's amazing that you haven't got your own program Well, I may have one of these days I often dream about my own show Oh, you do Well, maybe I can arrange for the Sandman to tear up your option (laughs) Come on, subconscious Oh, hello, Dennis Hello, Mr. Benny Uh, Hello, Don, sorry I'm late Oh, that's all right, Jack Uh, Shall I go ahead now with your introduction? No, don't bother, let it go tonight
0: Well, no build-up for the star, huh?
4: It isn't necessary, Phil. I think I'm fairly well-known, don't you? You're darn tootin'. Everybody knows you, Mr. Benny. Why, your name is famous from coast to coast. Well, thanks, Dennis. That kid'll work next year. (laughs) That's not flattery, Phil. I've been in show business for a long time, and naturally, my name has become more or less familiar. Well, let me tell you something, Jackson. Jackson. When I go out on the road with my band, I hit a lot of towns where they've never even heard of you. No kidding. That's a fact. Well, Phil, in the kind of towns you play, you can get eight to one that shoes are a passing fancy. (laughs) You never played a town yet where you didn't have to get off a train and get on a bus, get off the bus and get on a horse, get off the horse and crawl through the brush. (laughs) You've got the only band in the world with a folding bass (laughs) drum. (laughs) Say, Don. Yes, Jack? I meant to tell you, I just spoke to Orson Welles on the phone. He's coming over in a little while.
0: Well, uh, Phil mentioned something about it. Uh, He said that you wanted Mr. Welles to coach you in dramatics.
4: Yes, and he has consented to help me out. Gee, Mr. Benny, you're a swell actor now. You don't need any coaching. Yes, I do, Dennis. That's right. Don't change your mind so fast. You know, Don, uh, I've been doing comedy for a long time and radio and pictures and... Oh, I don't know, comedy is all right in a way, but I've decided to go in for deeper things. You know, Dennis, it's a funny thing, but you're the only Irishman I ever met that I can lick. Don't be too sure about that, buddy. <laughs> hmm. I guess I picked the wrong day, folks,
0: I wonder what's keeping Orson. He ought to be here pretty soon. Well, Jack, you must remember that Mr. Wells is a very busy man. Between his radio program and directing, producing, and acting in pictures, he has plenty to do. Oh, I know. He has a heavy schedule. In fact, I don't know how he ever finds time to come down here and help you
4: out. Well, you see, Don, he and I are old friends. We went to high school together. High school together? Why, Orson Wells is only 24 years old. Phil, he graduated from high school at the age of five. Don't you read the magazine? (laughs) Why, when he was seven, he played Uncle Tom, Simon Legree, Little Eva, and the cabin in Uncle Tom's Cabin.
3: <laughs>
4: so don't tell me about Orson Welles. Pretty smart youngster, huh? Not only smart, Don, but he grew up so fast. Why, he used to wear diapers with cups on them. <laughs> Oh, what what a kid. Huh? So he's going to coach you, eh, Mr. Benny? Yes, Dennis, in dramatic art. And I'll tell you one thing, fellas. With his technique and my feeling for the finer things, who knows what results I can attain? Who knows where I can go? If Mary was here, she'd have a suggestion. <laughs> no doubt, but I'm quite serious, Phil. Anyway, when Orson gets here... Oh, gosh, that must be him. Come in. Pardon me, has Mr. Wells arrived yet? No, not yet. I'm his secretary, Miss Wentworth. If you don't mind, I'll wait for him. Oh, no, no. Come right in. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Harris, will you please show Miss Wentworth to a chair? Sure. Park the chassis here, babe. (laughs) Phil, make yourself uh, comfortable, Miss Wentworth. Now, as I was saying, fellas, when Mr. Wells gets here, I don't want any heckling. Just behave yourselves while we're rehearsing. What do you intend doing tonight, Jack? Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Oh, no, Don. We're going to work up to that gradually. Uh, First, he's going to teach me dramatic delivery and enunciation and how to breathe. Isn't that right, Miss Wentworth? I can hear
3: you breathing way over here. I mean
4: correctly. (laughs) You know, fellas, there's a way of breathing when you read lines. That's... Pardon me. Hello? Mr. Well? Oh, he hasn't arrived yet, but I'll have him call you. Goodbye. Well? Who was that, Mr. Benny? It was... Oh, darn it, I was so excited, I forgot to ask. Well, you're a fine secretary. You're the secretary, not me. Well, then why did you answer the phone? Because it's my phone. That's why I forgot to ask the man's name. So what? Mr. Wells won't like it. Look, Miss, don't worry about that. The party will probably call back again, and when they do, I'll... Come in. Excuse me, is this Studio B? Yes, sir. I was to meet Mr. Wells here. I'm Mr. Stone, his secretary. His secretary? Then who's Miss Wentworth? She's his private secretary. I am right out in the open. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. well, uh, come right in. Mr. Wells should be here any moment. Thank you. How do you do, Miss Wentworth? Good evening, Mr. Stone. Hmm. Gee, that Orson's a pretty busy guy, ain't he? Phil, I warned you about saying ain't. Oh, that's right. He's a pretty busy guy, am he not?
3: <laughs>
4: Just let it go, Phil. Now, Don, I wish that Mr. you would. Dennis... Here's a script that Theodore Gill sent from New York. Thank you. And by the way, there was a phone call from Mr. Wells, but Mr. Benny failed to get the name. Oh, that's terrible. Well, I said I was excited, and I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Mr. Wells won't like it. Nuts <laughs> to <for> Mr. Wells. <laughs> Gee, you'd think I'd murdered somebody. Now, now, Don... Gee. Now, Don, as I was saying, if you and Dennis would be... Now what? Come in. Pardon me, I'm looking for Studio he B. He isn't I've here going... yet. Have a seat. Good morning, Miss Wells. Good evening, Mr. Wells.
3: Good evening, Mr. Wells. Oh, oh awesome! Orson, <laughs> awesome. Come right in! Well,
4: Well, I sure was, didn't know you there for a second. I, uh, well, I'm glad you were able to make it, Orson. I was wondering Mr. Stone, did Gabriel send in those sketches the costumes The picture? will be needing them soon, you know. Yes, Mr. Wells. I received that script from the theater, girl. Good, good. Let me see it. Here you are, sir. <laughs> hmm, looks like a very interesting play.
3: <laughs>
4: well... However, to finish the second act, we need polishing. He? Oh, Orson... Before we get started, I'd like to have you meet some of the members... Miss about... Wentworth, did you cable Mr. Miller about the American rights to his new production, the one that opened last week in London? Yes, I did, Mr. Wells. And by the way, just before you arrived, the phone call came for you, but Mr. Benny didn't get the name. Stool Pigeon. <laughs> I, uh, I was excited, Orson. That's all right, Jack, but watch those things in the future.
3: <laughs> oh, I... Oh,
4: I... I will. I will, yeah. Yes. Now, Orson. Before we get started, I'd like to have you meet the members of my cast. Uh, this is our announcer, Don Wilson. How do you do, Mr. Wilson? It's a
0: pleasure, I'm sure.
4: And this is Dennis Day, our young tenor. Mr. Day. How do you do, Dennis? Don't curtsey. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you
4: know he's so polite.
3: <laughs>
4: and oh yes, this is our orchestra leader, Phil Harris. Uh, good evening, Mr. Harris. Hi, Orson. Still scaring people? <laughs> Don't, uh, don't pay any attention to him, Orson. He's always like that. Oh, I don't mind. He's rather amusing in his own barbaric way.
3: <laughs>
4: barbaric. <laughs> that's very good. Uh, by the way, Jack, where's Miss Livingston? Oh, Mary, Mary's home in bed, Orson. She has a rather heavy cold. Oh, that's too bad. Has she got a nurse? I checked on that, Bob. No soul.
3: <laughs> oh, what
4: coarse language, Orson. I... I don't know where he picks those things up. No, just the same, he's a very interesting study, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes.
3: (laughs) Yes,
4: yes, I think, yes. (laughs) Now, Orson, I think we ought to get started with my rehearsal. Did you have anything in mind for the first lesson? First lesson, I see. Benny, 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 Benny. Oh, yes. Hmm. You see, Jack, the reason you haven't gone as far dramatically as you feel you should is because you've been selecting the wrong vehicles. Uh Uh-huh? Definitely. For instance, if your goal is the Academy Award, as you say it is, you should concentrate... Oh, pardon me, Jack. There's something I must do. Miss Wentworth. Yes, Mr. Wells. Take a telegram to Mayor LaGuardia, New York City. Yes, sir. You see, Jack, you should concentrate on the heavier and more legitimate type of drama. I understand. Now, what would you suggest, Orson? Dear Mayor LaGuardia, hmm. (laughs) Received your telegram, and if I'm in New York on the 29th, we'll be only too happy to attend the banquet. Well. However, we'll let you know in plenty of time if I ain't coming.
3: Hey. (laughs) Why, Orson, you said ain't! Oh, Orson! I'm surprised.
4: Well, Jack, the use of the word ain't is sometimes permissible. You see, in this instance, by using ain't, I saved a word in a telegram. Oh. That's all, Miss Wentworth. Yes, sir. Now, Jack, where were we? Well, you, uh, you were about to suggest a proper vehicle for me. Oh, yes. Now, the type of play that would offer you the greatest scope for emotional histrionics would be a literary classic... Something like the Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Hunchback of Notre Dame? You mean, uh, Charles Lawton Park? Exactly. Well, gee, that would be swell. Mr. Christian, come here!
3: Uh,
4: how's that? That's from Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh. Uh, Jack, you were pretty far away from Hunchback. He was pretty far away from Lawton, too. (laughs) We don't need any comments from you, Phil. You're barbaric.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: Orson, if The Hunchback is a play you feel I ought to do, let's try it out. I'm your obedient servant.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: shall we get started? Uh, yes. Mr. Stone, did you bring the script for The Hunchback with you? Here it is. Mr. Good. Good. Now, Jack, here's a scene that we can start out with, which I think will give... Uh, pardon me, Orson. Come in. Excuse me, is Mr. Wells here? Why, yes, he is. It's your tailor, Mr. Wells. Oh, come in, Max. You might as well measure me right now. Okay, Mr. Wells. Mark this down, Sam. Right. Now, Jack, I think we can take this scene where the king of France meets the gypsy dancing girl, Ismerelda. Now, let's glance at it. Next, 15 and a half. 15 and a half. Chest, 42. 42. Late, 36. 36. Late, 29. 29. Come on, Sam. Goodbye, Mr. Wells. (laughs) Gee, yes, I think this scene will be fine. Well, I'll do my best, Orson. Uh, now, do you oh, think... Miss Wentworth. Oh. Yes, Mr. Wells. Take a memo to the tailor. No cuffs on the diapers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now,
4: Orson, shall we get started with the hunchback of Notre Dame, Adam? I'm uh, raring to go. Oh wait,
0: just a minute, Jack. Oh, uh, Mr. Wells, I have an important message to deliver right now, and I wish you'd listen to it and give me your frank opinion. Oh, I'd be glad to, Mr. Wilson. Don Orson is here to help me. Well, this will just take a second, Jack. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, next time you're in the mood Hold for attempting up. an appetizing dessert, go to your neighborhood grocer and ask him for a package of Jello. You will find it's not only economical and easy to make, but comes in six delicious flavors. So be sure to insist on genuine Jello and look for the big red letters on the box. <laughs>
3: Wow.
4: How was that, Mr. Wells? Very good, very good. But I wish there was some place you could bring elephants in there. (laughs) Elephants? What an imagination, huh? Well, let's get to me now, Orson. All right, Jack. I see you're ready to play the hunchback. What did you do, stuff a pillow up your back? No, that's my knapsack. I'm going to a scout meeting later. (laughs) (laughs) Say, uh... Orson, I was just thinking, of course, I don't want to complain or anything, but as I remember in the picture, uh, Quasimodo, the hunchback, had very little to say. In fact, all he did was grunt and groan, and it's not very dramatic, is it? eh? Well, that's where you're wrong, Jack.
0: A groan or a grunt, if properly delivered, can convey as much emotion as a whole page of dialogue.
4: Well, perhaps you're right, although I never thought of it that way. Now tell me, Jack, can you groan? Grown? You ought to hear him on payday. Well, <laughs> you're the only one I resent paying. Well, now that you've explained it, Orson, I think I can handle it all right. Very good, Then let's lesson. get started. Now, this particular scene calls for the King of France.
0: I'll play that. Frollo, the King's High Justice. I'll play that, too. Hmm. Quasimodo, the Hunchback. That
4: must be me. Yes,
0: and Esmeralda, the Gypsy
4: Girl, Miss Wentworth. Would you care to help us out, please? I'm delighted, Mr. Wells. Now, Orson, I notice in the script here that Quasimodo rings the bells in the Tower of Notre Dame. Do you want me to ring them? No, I'll handle the bells. Oh, 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 oh,
3: oh. <laughs> Incidentally, Jack, yeah.
4: at the finish of this particular scene, you have a very dramatic speech where you tell Esmeralda not to be afraid of you. It's really the high spot of the play. Oh, well, I'll sure try and get it right, Orson. All right, then let's proceed. We open first with Esmeralda
0: and Frowler. Now, quiet, everybody. Quiet, everybody. Mr. Wells is about to rehearse. You have the first line, Miss Wentworth. Yes, sir.
4: Let me go. Don't touch me. You have the hands of the devil. Wait
0: for such talk. I could have you burned at the stake. I am the law.
4: Yes, the law that drives my people out of France. You
0: deserve it. You are thieves and swindlers. You are lazy and you live by magic tricks and sorcery.
4: But you don't know the gypsies.
0: I don't want to know them. I want to wipe them with fire and sword, every one of them. (laughs)
3: Uh,
4: How, how was that, Orson? Just grown once, Jack (laughs) Oh, the second one was an encore
3: (laughs) Uh,
4: Go ahead Now, at this
0: point, King Louis XI of France enters the scene Esmeralda speaks.
3: Oh, thank heaven. The king approaches. Maybe he will listen to me.
0: You will be heard. I will help you, my child. Your majesty. But you must give me a good reason. They say you are a lot of thieves.
4: Oh, no, your majesty. Whenever we steal, it is because we are hungry. Help us, sire. Please
0: help us. I will help you. You and your people will suffer no longer. (laughs) Back to your people, my child, and tell them that that king will see that they have food and shelter, and that in the future they shall be unmolested.
4: (laughs) For this, I went to bed early last night. (laughs) Now, look, Orson. Yes, (laughs) Orson, look. Orson, I don't know what's wrong I don't know what's wrong But I don't feel those groans <laughs> okay, Maybe, maybe I ain't breathing right Jack, don't say ain't It's bad English Well, for heaven's sake You said that
3: it That was in a telegram
4: Oh, well, Miss Wentworth Take a wire to Mr. Wells <laughs> Dear Orson, I ain't breathing right
3: <laughs> And
4: another thing, Orson When do I get to that long speech of mine? It's right here at the top of the next page Esmeralda speaks again. Continue. Wentworth. Oh, thank you, Your Majesty. My people will always be grateful.
0: Yes, easy, my child. And now, goodbye.
4: Goodbye, Sire. Oh, wait, Your Majesty. Who is this ugly, misshapen creature that is staring at me? I'm frightened. That's your cue, Jack. Oh, oh, (laughs) yes. It is I, Quasimodo. Do not be terrified of me. I am not a man and not a beast Yet I am human too I have a heart and it wants to others but... Hey, wait a minute, Orson You're drowning out my boy Well, the script calls for bells I don't care, you don't have to ring them that loud, do you? I'm sorry, try your speech again Oh, the stone Will you ring the bells this time? I want to watch Mr. Benny Yes, sir Go ahead, Jack Gee.
0: <clears throat> It is I, Quasimodo Do not be terrified of me I am not a man and not a beast. But more
4: look down upon hello? me. Hello? Yes,
3: he's here. Yes, you as well. too, your colleague. Thank
4: you. I have a heart and
3: a
0: warm Oh, hello, oh, no, Harrington. I've a heart and a But people drive me all all off as though I were to hear because When do you think I've been so brutal? I see body. here, you promised that to me. It reached you. Oh, Isn't the more painfully pain to all Herrickson? that is beautiful. That is why I look
4: at you. You are
3: very beautiful. And when you cry for me, I'm Why don't all? crying out loud.
4: How can I act with all this going on, for heaven's sake? Oh, Mr. Wells, your suits is ready for a fitting... Thank you, Max. I'll try it on here. Oh, the heck with a Play, Phil. What I go through for a career.
0: <laughs> Folks, if you're looking for a swell dessert to serve for Easter dinner next Sunday, look no farther, because here it is, the whole answer in a pastry shell... Jello Easter tarts, each one heaped to the brim with clear golden orange jello and several sections of tender juicy oranges. Yes, believe me, it's a glorious treat, and just as simple as it is satisfying. To make it, all you do is dissolve one package of orange jello in one pint of hot water. Chill until slightly thickened. Divide three medium oranges into sections, drain them, and arrange in eight baked tart shells. Fill the shells with jello, chill, and then, if desired, Garnish with whipped cream before serving. The result, ladies and gentlemen, is a truly marvelous dessert. So plan now to highlight next Sunday's dinner with one of the most delicious and intriguing treats you've ever tasted Jello Easter Tarts, a grand combination of plump, juicy oranges and rich, brilliant orange jello.
4: This is the last number of the 24th program in the current Jello series. And we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Orson, I'm sorry I blew up the way I did, but I would like to become a dramatic actor. Well, Jack, those things take time, but I'll tell you what. Come over to my show next Sunday. We're going to do June Moon, and there's a swell partner for you. Well, gee, I'll be glad to. Will I have to groan much? <laughs> no, Jack. There isn't a single groan in the entire play. Oh, gosh, and just when I had a down pat.
3: <clears throat> <laughs>
4: Good night, Dow. <doll. laughs> Jamie boy, when your grandpa Doc was trainer for a big league team, baseball was baseball. Things really happened in ball games then. Like the time Pearl Monsville.
3: Pearl DeMonville? A girl
4: on a baseball team? Pearl wasn't no girl. Pearl was a midget. A midget? On a ball team? You heard me. A midget. Gee, grandpa. That must have been a long time ago. Now, don't go trying to pin me down to dates, Jamie. I'll tell you how it happened. Is this a true story, Grandpa? True? Well, you could look it up in the record. Every blessed word. It was toward the tag end of September, the year after we was world champs. And I was chief trainer, and Squawks McGrew was manager.
3: Squawks?
4: Yeah, they called him Squawks because when things was going bad, he lost his voice and squealed like a little girl when you stepped on her doll or something. We was in a terrible slump. From leading the league by seven or eight games, we went flopping down to a half a game ahead of St. Louis and Squawks was killing to everybody. He wouldn't listen to nobody, and none of the players would listen to him.
3: Well, what about the midget,
4: Pearl? Well, now, I'm coming to Pearl. Don't rush me. We was on our way to St. Louis and stopped off in Columbus, Ohio, to play an exhibition game. Columbus playing the world champs? That's right, and I couldn't stand watching them slaughter us. So I sneaked back to the hotel. I made the coffee shop okay, opened the door, got inside, and there was Squawks McGrew. So I sits down beside him, and there we are, like a couple of stiffs, waiting for the coroner. Oh, how I pity me, Doc. How I pity me. Well, maybe this is the end, McGrew. The end of the losing streak. I'll never smile again, Doc. <laughs> never, so long as I live.
3: <laughs> Who cares, McGrew?
4: <laughs> what was that? I don't know. It sounded like a horse laughing into a tin can. <laughs> Oh, it's a kid. Run along, sonny. do sonny me, junior. Hey, waiter, get this kid out of here. I seen that bowl game today, McGrew. You know, you ain't got no bowl club. What you got there is a spy show.
3: <laughs>
4: I say, I'm sorry, Mr. McGrew, and I'll leave Mr. McGrew alone. Uh, he don't mean no harm. Beat it, kid. Don't call me kid, junior. Who are you calling Junior, you little... All right, all right, that'll be enough. Come on. Uh, he don't mean no harm by that. He calls everyone Junior because it always turns out that he's a year older than them. Now, come on, come on. Wait a now. minute, wait a minute. How old are you, Sonny? How old are you, Junior? Fifty-three. I'm fifty-four, Junior. <laughs> now give me a light. A midget. Why, I don't believe it. He got you, Junior. <laughs> a midget with a cane. A straw hat and a cigar. <laughs> now I've seen everything. Make this flat-footed waiter leave me go, McGrew. And someone boost me up on the table. Leave him alone, waiter. Bring him a sarsaparilla with a drop of poison in it. You tell him, Needle. You got the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Look here, you. Who are you? I'm the guy just seen Barnum and Bailey clowns dressed up in baseball uniforms. And now I'm talking to the trainer. <laughs> I ask you who you are. What's your name? I'm Pearl de Monville. Are you gonna tell me your name or am I gonna put... Pearl's the name, Junior. Pearl de Monville. Pearl de Monville. What kind of a name is that? Where are you from? I'm from the island of Stromboli. Stromboli? <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, Pearl. McGrew, the team's on the way to the station. <laughs> How are they going, Doc? By ambulance? <laughs> <laughs> Ambulance, see do that, Doc? Now, don't encourage him, McGrew. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> You're playing St. Louis next, ain't you? Yeah, five games. Why? Here is what you do with that team, McGrew. Huh? And I'm giving it to you free. Put your outfield on crutches, your infielders on stretches, and let the basemen use their wheelchairs. <laughs> <laughs> How about the pitchers, Purley? Pitchers? Yeah. Damn windmills? Soak their arms and plaster of Paris, and when it dries hard, I teach them cricket. <laughs> Hear that, Jackie? He teach them cricket. I'm getting out of here, McGrew. Your brain's going. Uh, uh, I'm coming. Good. and Purley's coming along with me. Oh, no. Coming, Junior. I've got to see what those fugitives from the old man's home look like. Out of the bandages and braces. <laughs> <laughs> look, tell him that, Purley. Don't forget. You can't do that to the boys. They're touchy already. Pearlie will blow him high as a kite. Great. Come on, Pearlie, I'll lift you down. Oh, look, McGrew, don't do it. Pearly will start to mute me. I know what I'm doing, Doc. Oh, why didn't I take up embalming like my mother wanted me to? So that's what's wrong with him, Doc. You've been practicing embalming the players. <laughs> Shut him up, McGrew, or I'm committing mayhem. Now, oh, wait a minute. Pearl's the answer we've been looking for, Doc. Yeah. The team's in a slump, yeah. overconfidence. They've turned into a gang of prima donnas. They won't listen to anyone, not even to me, the manager. Little Pearl's gonna get through their thick hides with his insults. You watch. Pearl. A midget telling off the world's champs. You take Pearl over and meet the team. I'll check the tickets. You want to get me indicted for murder? Do what I tell you, Doc. Come on, Junior. The boss has spoke. Now, look, Pearl. I got a strange feeling the boys ain't going to like you or your jokes. Like me? If one of them waterheads ever said a nice word about me, (laughs) it's all for slender. (laughs) Okay, Pearl. Only don't say I didn't warn you. Look, Doc. Got a crowd following us. Come along, folks. Right this way to meet the world's worst bull club. That's along now. You better give me the name of your closest relative, Pearl. Oh, well, hello, boys. Hi, uh, hi, how hi. are you, Clinger? Yeah, hey, what's the idea of bringing a parade with you, Doc? Yeah, who's your little friend, Doc? The uh, whitey cop. This is uh an old pal of A buddy's. Yeah, yeah. A pal of McGrews. Pearl Dewang. Uh, Pearl. Yeah, that boy's pal of McGrews. <laughs> now look here, boys. McGrew wants you to treat Pearl nice-like. Uh, Cott, shake hands with Pearl. This is Whitey Cott, one of the league's greatest catchers. Uh, sorry. Okay, Pearl, shake. Don't try shaking hands with me, Junior. Cause if you do, those short fingers of yours will break right <laughs> <laughs> off. Pearl, cut it out, you hear me? Look, what is this, a gag? Gag, nothing. I got a pitch to cut. Pearl's telling the truth. Cut, cut it out, out, Clinger. Look. Taking just about enough from you, Klinger. Well, that's enough, Cot. You too, Clinger. If I was you, Cot, I'd retire. One more word out of you, Klinger, and I'm going to pin you. Yeah, you and who else? Just no, me! here at the
3: station. I don't think I can do it.
4: What's going on here? Let me through, Scott, Let me Plinger, through. Stop it, will you? Wrestlers, wrestlers—that's what I got for a ball club, and not good wrestlers at that. Uh-huh, the police. Stop them, McGrew. You're the manager. Why should I? Let them murder each other. Ladies and gentlemen, step down off of that baggage truck, Pearl. All right, break it up. Come on, break right it up. Right this way. Step up and see the wrestling baseball player. Stop them, will you? Louder, Pearl. Louder. Right this way. Steve Lashar, Klinger, the pitcher. Bushel basket, card deck. All right, that's enough, sonny. On to the train with you. Come on, all in. He started that midget, stuff. Oh, come on, we'll miss our train. I told you, McGrew, you better apologize and send Pearl back to Columbus. Pearl's coming with us to St. Louis. Oh, no, no, you can't. You You heard me. Pearl's coming to St. Louis. He's our new mascot. Not me. Not for no bunch of people minor direct. directs. They'll kill him, McGrew. They'll push him out a train window. Come on, Pearl. I'll lift you down. Ah, no, i got no toothbrush. No extra suit. Come Let on. Let me go, McGrew. Oh, put him down, McGrew. You'll be arrested for kidnapping. Let me go. Help, help. Police, police. Somebody's trying to steal a kid. Oh. <laughs> Quit your squirming, Pearl. You're coming to St. Louis and help me knock the overconfidence out of this ball club. No. Come on! Kidnap us! Kidnap us! Kidnap us! It was, Jamie, a world's champion ball club in a terrible losing streak, beaten by a bunch of bush leaguers and heading for a shellacking from St. Louis with a cigar-smoking, wise-cracking midget named Pearl Dumontville in our hair. Grandpa, did Pearl get the overconfidence out of the team? Not so you'd notice it. St. Louis knocked us off two straight like tin soldiers. The third game, it's raining cats and dogs. And at the end of the seventh, when we was trailing nine to three, the game's calling a kind of rain. McGrew and me was in the dugout trying to keep dry and think of some other way we could make a living. And Pearl, he was sitting there grinning and puffing away at his big cigar. I love you, in St. Louis, Junior. Oh, I wish I was manager of a ladies' sewing circle. You are, Junior. You are. <laughs> No, I can't take no more, McGrew. Pearl ain't doing us no good. The team's never been this bad before. A World Series slipping out of our hands. World Series? These bumps can't even play pinnacle. You know why?
3: Yeah, because all the cards
4: are in St. Louis.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so long, Doc. Where do you think you're going? To the lawyers again. Again? I never even knew you'd been to the lawyers once. Just goes to show you how much you don't know. But the team, you've got to do something. Come on, Pearlie. See you tomorrow, Doc. <laughs> Hey, get your program here! Can't tell the four players
3: from the Usher's without a program. Hey, a program. All right, what
4: you got there, McGrew? A portable radio. McGrew, not in the dugout. The boys are touching them. They're broadcasting our disgrace to the whole country. Curly thought the boys would like to hear it. A beautiful day for a ball game, folks. The Sands are packed to see St. Louis make it four straight games and head for the World Series. Turn it off. That guy's got to speak before the game starts. He's seen his play yesterday. Something's gotten in the crowd, folks. Can't see it from here. Just a second. What's happening? What are they laughing about? The crowd sighted a kid. Little fellow about three feet high wearing the uniform of the visiting team. McGrew, you didn't... The kid's carrying a toy bat, swinging like mad. Turning handsprings now off the field, McGrew. Whitey Codd will kill him. The first guy that lays a hand on Pearl is through with baseball. Wait a minute. What is this? He's lighting up a big cigar. Uh, no, I'm wrong. It's not a kid. It's a midget. McGrew, you did this. Yes, it is a midget. Whitey Codd the catcher is walking up to him now. Oh, you should have seen that. Todd pulled the stogie out of the midget's mouth and Gotten away from Cott. Billy Klinger's climbing up after him, the rest of the team is going over after McGrew. Now here's McGrew coming up out of the dugout with his trainer, Doc. And here's the midget. He jumped down from the wall. He's hiding between McGrew's legs now. Whitey Cott reaching for him. Hey, you guys, McGrew says leave Pearlie alone. Wearing that uniform on the field, He's gracing the whole team. Let me take him to the shower. Let's run our uniform. Who put him up, that there? uniform means something to us, making a mockery out of the uniform. It might surprise you, pack of fumbling idiots, to know Pearl ain't making no mockery of no uniform. Pearl DeMondville has been made a regular member of this so-called ball club. Now get out there and warm up with your new teammates, Pearl. I will right, we'll
3: warm up. I don't believe it.
4: I fixed it up at the front office by long-distance telephone.
3: Play ball!
4: Who are you kidding, McGrew? I can just see our owner saying to you exactly what we need, Mr. McGrew. A cigar-smoking midget. I'm telling you, Doc, our owners okayed it. Mr. McGrew, just exactly what did you tell the owners on the telephone? Dear owners, I said. I want to sign up a new player that no living pitcher in the whole league can strike out. And did you tell the people who own this ball club what size man this new player, Pearl DeMondville, is? Never mind about that. Legally, Pearl DeMondville is a member of this ball club. But, McGrew, even if it's legal, the team is only you. Now, look. You tell those clowns to get out there and play like they never played before. <laughs> or so, help me. I'm replacing anyone that doesn't with a three-foot mission. <laughs> don't believe it.
3: Ball three! You done it,
4: a clue? They're playing ball at last. Putting fur in Berlin uniform turned to track. We're still sailing, ain't we one to nothing?
3: Ball four!
4: Walk in! faces full. Tots up in the slump's over. Turn on that radio and let's hear what that wise guy's got to say for us now. Something's come over the visitors and they're playing baseball. Game's going to be tied up, or perhaps won in the next couple of minutes. See, even he said the slump's over. All Cott's got to do is let that pitcher walk him, and we tie him up. Just a second, Cott, hold it. McGrew, where are you going? Something's happened. Cott's not going to the plate. McBrue, the manager, is out of the field. Just a second, Pearl. Pearl, come on, get up to the plate. Now you're talking, Junior. <laughs> oh no, no, no! They'll put you in a padded cell. We're going to win this ball game, Doc. <laughs> There's not a pitcher in the world who can throw three strikes to a three-foot man before he pitches four balls. Pearl. Pearl, now, listen to me, baby. All you have to do is just stand there. You got that? He's got to walk you. They won't let you. Here comes the St. Louis manager, Muller, with the umpire. Tell him, ump, Tell him. Get that midget off the plate in 30 seconds or I'll forfeit the game to St. Louis. I told you, McGrew. I told you. Take a look at this contract, umpire. A contract for a midget? You really was to the lawyers. No, no, you can't. It's not in the book he can play on no ball. Tell me, McGrew, what's this midget player been doing all season? Growing up.
3: Tell him, I'm telling him it's against the rules.
4: Here's a book, Muller. Read me in print where it says there ain't no allowing a midget to play. Go ahead, read me. Yeah, McGrew's right. Yeah. There's nothing in the rules that says he can't play. You can't. No pitcher living can measure a strike for a three-foot man. Maybe next year they'll change the rules. Now play ball. You're a genius, McGrew. Ah! Substitution's perfectly legal, Muller. No, no,
3: it's robber. Robin us. Robin us in our own town, you robber. Roy the visiting team, Carl
4: DeMonville, now batting for a Whitey Cock. the playing field, standing between home plate and the visitor's dugout. After a big argument, the umpire has ruled Pearl Damond Bill can pinch hit for Whitey Cott, and the 35-inch tall player is up at bat with the bases full, waiting to be walked to force in the run that'll tie up the score. The St. Louis pitcher, Brazy, six feet three inches tall, is studying the situation. He's crouching low, measuring the batter. No, 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 he's standing up now, on his tiptoes. He's going to lob the ball to the batter. And there goes the pitch.
3: For one.
4: Away off. No, no, two feet over Phelps' head. Now, here comes the second that one along the ground and Pearl had to jump it. The pitcher's talking to the St. Louis catcher. There goes the catcher back and, no, I don't believe it. Yes, he is. That big St. Louis pitcher, Brazy, is lying down on the ground now. (laughs) On his stomach. His right arm up, trying to heave the ball toward the plate and there it goes. Oh, that was closer, but still off. Here comes McGrew, the visitor's manager, and Doc, the trainer, standing right in front of me. One more, Pearlie. Just stand there, baby. Just stand right there like a little statue. Don't move now. Don't move. Now here comes the one that counts. The pitch is still on the ground. He's letting it go. A high, easy pitch. Big and slow like a balloon in the air. And it looks good from here, heading for the plate. No, no, Pearl! The midget swinging. He hit it! Pearl! (laughs) Pearl's heading for first base. The ball's rolling toward the pitcher. He can't get up. He misses it. It's still rolling. Here comes a shortstop after it. Oh, oh, The ball still rolling toward third, and Pearl's still running. With those little legs, first base is a sleeper jump away. Here comes the second baseman in after the ball, and he's got it. He throws to first. Oh, oh, Pearl's still 20 feet from first base. No, no, McGrew, stay go. here! Don't let me go! I'll strangle him! No, no, no don't go, oh, my friend! Oh, no, no, McGrew is running out to get him. Doc is after McGrew! I'll see if my line will stretch out there. Throw in my ball game. Why? 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 I couldn't help it, Junior. I'm only human. I was sure I'd kill it. Don't go, kill kill Don't go. get out of my way! Let me go, there. Right I got you now! He's gone mad? He's got the midget by the feet. He's no. swinging him around. Uh, his head! No, no, no! It's her. Pearl Dumontville! Let's, Let's go! Pearl Dumontville is soaring through the air like a Fourth of July rocket. He's arching up, 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 heading for the bold Durham
3: sign on the forest fence. Up, up!
4: Not a scratch on him. Just as we thought he was going to clear the Bull Durham sign, he starts cutting a mark down. Slow, like a high fly. And in comes the St. Louis right fielder, moving under him for the catch. <laughs> Grab Pearl right out of the air. Boy, then what happened to Pearl? Pearl? Well, he just sort of vanished in thin air, like our losing slump. After that, Jamie, when the team saw what the McGraw made a fool out of to the whole world... They felt sorry for him and busted out of their swell heads and played like demons. We hit Chicago for five straight games and sailed on to our own home uh, like a lot of dynamite to win the pennant. And then the World Series. What
3: about St. Louis?
4: Well, after that game with Pearl, St. Louis was so shook up they never hit their stride again. Their best pitcher, Frazee, the one who got Pearl to bite on that slow ball, he kept shooting everything too low.
3: <laughs>
4: and the infield took to misjudging everything that came their way.
3: Say this happened grandpa what
4: here now you know my minding what it was for dates jamie boy but it's all in the record just like i told you you can look it up
1: It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes.
3: The Riley and Kimmy Show.
1: Find archived podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.